1: Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Leadership Podcast. I hope 2022 is, is treating you right as, as January uh, passes by. But today I'm excited to talk to you about uh, one of my favorite books. And it's actually a book that uh, I read qu- quite a few years ago, but it's one that impacted me the most. It's number three on my all-time favorite list. Today's episode is titled "What Is Trust." Can you define trust? Most people struggle to define trust, and I've asked a lot of people in my life. A lot of times when I'm speaking, especially in small groups, and I'm talking about when I start diving in deep and talking about leadership and trust and character and all that sort of thing, one of the things I want to want to know is can they define trust? And, and quite often when I ask them, they kind of just look at me. Every now and then people will finally, I, I keep talking to them and I can finally get them to, to say something. Somebody will eventually say something about being honest or, or uh, trustworthy and that sort of stuff. But you can tell pretty quick that most people can't define trust. <laughs> However, even if you can't define trust, I bet you know when you feel it. Or you know when you don't feel it. But putting trust into words is difficult for most. And what you got to know is trust matters because it's the foundation for authentic influence. You won't have authentic influence unless you have trust with someone. Unless you trust someone, they won't have authentic influence with you. Trust is the glue that holds people together, whether that's at work or whether that's at home. With trust, we always know. Without trust, we never know. You know, when I, when I say that, I think about you know, people. I talk to a lot of people, and it's pretty common people tell me they're going to do something, and, and they never do it. People make commitments without even giving it two seconds of thought. They'll commit to something where they'll get fired up and get wound up and they, they got a lot of energy going and and they rattling off all these things they're going to do. And when somebody tells me they're going to do something, I expect them to do it. Because when I tell someone I'm going to do something, I'm going to make it happen. Because I know how much it matters when it comes to trust. So I'm going to teach you and talk to you today. and In this episode, I should say I'm going to define trust. And I'm going to share some related lessons as I introduce you to one of my favorite books, as I mentioned before. The number three book on my all-time favorite list. The title of this book is The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And that name may sound familiar. You may have read the book. But even if you haven't read the book, it may sound familiar because he's actually the son of Stephen R. Covey who is the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and several other great books. But if you follow me much at all, you know The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has basically transformed my life after I read it. That book, I got a lot out of that book. Later on, I discovered his son had some books, and this was one of them. And so I want to I teach you about some of the things I learned there. And, and you'll see as I teach you about it, if you followed me enough or read enough of my books, or if you read this book at some point, it's about 350 pages. It's not a nice little simple, easy read like my books. But I take a lot of what I learn and I simplify it. I apply it in my life first. Figure out, do I, do I believe in it? Do I buy into it? And then I teach it to other people. But But I got to make it easy to understand. So all the books that I read, they flow through me. And they get simplified, and I learned some lessons while I'm teaching it, or while I'm applying it, and then when I'm teaching it, I simplify it. So that's why my books are, most of my books are real simple, easy to understand, easy to read. But, I, but this year, in 2022, I'm going to do a lot of podcast episodes. I'm going to do uh, multiple episodes on some of my favorite books that's impacted me the most, so I can introduce them to you. You may want to read those books, or... I'm going to also share a, a lot of episodes where I'm going to take quotes from my quote file. I mean, I got a massive file of quotes from all my days of reading and and attending seminars and listening to audios and podcasts where I've taken down captured quotes. If you follow me on social media, you see me all the time sharing quotes and thoughts. I, I'm never going to get to share them all. But this year, I'm going to teach some lessons on uh, the books I've read that meant a lot to me and a lot of the quotes that I've captured. So the next few episodes are going to be related to this book, Speed of Trust. And uh, I just want to start off sharing the subtitle of the book. The subtitle is The One Thing That Changes Everything. And that's what trust is. It's the one thing that changes everything. And in in the book, uh, Covey talks about when trust goes down, speed goes up or excuse me, when trust goes down, speed goes down and cost goes up. So think about that. When there's less trust in any relationship, personal or professional, does it take longer for things to happen? Absolutely. When you're talking about business, does it cost more if you don't trust people? Absolutely. Instead of just shaking hands, you may have to go get attorneys involved to draw up an agreement or contract and you know as a, as an example, uh the opposite of this is when trust goes up, speed goes up and cost goes down. If I could shake your hand or we I could just trust your word or you can trust my word, we can make things happen in a hurry. You know when i when I'm speaking with clients i don't I don't typically do a speaking agreement or anything like that. I don't care about doing a speaking agreement. It's just a waste of time for me, but every now and then, We have clients who they got to have some clients. They got to go through a a big in-depth agreement. I'm thinking, my goodness, what a waste of time. They don't trust anybody and they definitely don't trust me. And they don't even know me a lot of times. That's one reason trust is low. They don't know me. I'm just another speaker. But it's just an example. But most people, probably 90% of the people, maybe even 95% of the people that I speak to, I just tell them what I'm going to do and I do it. They tell me what they're going to do, and they do it. And that's the kind of people I like to deal with. You know, for instance, when when people take advantage of our special offer, in 2022 it changed that uh, anybody who purchases 300 books will get up to two hours of on-site uh, speaking with us. We speak at conferences, or we speak maybe on-site at, at, at a manufacturing plant or a construction company, all over the place. But when people either email me or call me and tell me they want to do that deal, they want to order 300 books and have me come out in a few months from now, most often it's several months into the future before I'll actually go there and speak. The first thing I do is not send them an invoice and get paid before I do anything. The very first thing I do is I want to know which 300 books do you want? Which titles? What's the quantity? And where do you want me to send them? Some of you listening may have, may know this from experience because what I tell them, the first thing I'm going to do is as soon as you tell me what you want, I'm going to order the books because these books ship direct from Amazon. They have to print them. They ship them within three to four weeks. And I, I want to know the expected delivery time. So before a client even pays me, I order the books as fast as I can make it happen, depending on if I'm traveling or if I'm at home. But I order the books as soon as I can. They're on the way. They give me the expected uh, delivery date and then I create the invoice and send it to the client. So I've already ordered the books. I've already paid for the books. They're already in process. They're they're on the way. They're going to get there. And, and then I send them an invoice. And the result is, most of the time, clients pay an invoice almost immediately. Probably 80% or more pay the same day within just a few hours of, of getting the invoice. And I've never yet had to plead with clients to pay. They always pay. But I start off trusting them. I extend trust so they extend trust. So as we dive into this, I want to talk about real briefly the five waves of trust that that Covey talks about in this book. Again, Stephen M. R. Covey, the son of Stephen R. Covey. I'm going to just say Covey though when I'm talking about him here. But he talks about five waves of trust. The first wave is self-trust. Self trust deals with the confidence we have in ourselves, in our ability to set and achieve goals. The whole idea is to become, both to ourselves and to others, a person who is worthy of trust. And relative to this wave, if I got time in this episode, which is what I expect to do, I'm going to explore something he calls the four cores of credibility. So, the end result of high character and high competency. Is credibility, judgment, and influence. So I'm going to talk about that more, the four cores of credibility and how they relate to self-trust here in a minute. The second wave of trust is relationship trust. You'll see these kind of starts within ourselves and then it builds out into others and into the community. But relationship trust is about how to establish and increase the trust accounts we have with others. When we... when he talks about trust accounts, he's talking about like an emotional bank account where you're making deposits into the trust account of other people or you're taking withdrawals. And we all know what happens to your bank account if you take too many withdrawals. <laughs> the account gets closed, don't you? Same thing happens in, in real life in personal relationships too. So the key principle in this wave is consistent behavior. And in, and in this section, relational trust, it won't happen today's episode. It's going to be the next two or three episodes. I'm going to talk about the 13 key behaviors, trust behaviors, that are common to high-trust leaders and high-trust people around the world. So I'm going to share what he, the trust behaviors he lists, but I'm going to talk about from my own experience. And I'm going to do that throughout this episode and every other one. I'm not just reading the book or teaching you just straight up their content. I'm mixing in my thoughts, my experiences, and the things that I teach, blending it with, with the principles I'm speaking to you about from their book, but I'm trying to give credit as much to them as possible for what they're talk, what he wrote about and talked about. So organizational trust, that's the third wave. it deals with how leaders can generate trust in all kinds of organizations, including businesses, not for profit organizations, government entities, educational institutions and families, as well as in teams and other micro units within organizations. That's what Covey says about organizational trust. And then he talks about the fourth wave is market trust. It's the level at which almost everyone clearly understands the impact of trust. The underlying principle behind this wave is reputation. It's your company's brand as well as your personal brand. What's your reputation? And then the fifth wave is societal trust. And it's about creating value for others and for society at large. The principle underlying this wave is contribution. By contributing or giving back, we counteract suspicion and cynicism. We also inspire others to create value and contribute as well. It's what I'm doing with this podcast. I'm giving back. I'm not getting paid to do this podcast. I want to help you. I'm a reading, learning, applying, and studying machine. I'm not perfect. I'm always trying to get better, but I got a lot of stuff in me and I want to share it with other people to help them have a, a better life. So let's briefly talk about the four cores of credi- credibility. And Doc, and uh, Covey, he did such a great job breaking this down. But basically what he says is, you know, I, I'm saying it too. I can't make you trust me. No one can make you trust them. I, I can only be trustworthy. You trusting me is not up to me. Me being trustworthy is 100% up to me. That's what I control. And where does trustworthiness come from? It comes from two components. And you've heard me talk about these forever. And I didn't just learn them in this book, but I learned a lot about them in this book. But those two components are character and competency. And I often talk about a a research study from Stanford that talks about or or that basically discovered during the research that 87% of our influence, our success in life comes from character and only 13% from competency. So that's the two components of trustworthiness is character and competency. You know, and I add in that 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 research 87% character, 13% competency. But then we break those down. What I'm doing is kind of painting you a a picture of how do you break what is trust? Where does it come from? And and I say, you know, it's when you break down character into the two components that Covey talks about in his book, he talks about integrity and intent. He talks about integrity first, but I talk about intent first because I say our intention is the foundation of trust. Trust is the foundation of authentic influence, authentic leadership. But in my book, Defining Influence, I break it down and talk about what's the foundation of trust, and I say it's intention. So although Covey talks about intention second, I'm going to teach it first, and I'm just going to break down what is intent. It's our motive, agenda, and behavior, as Covey says. And then he talks about uh, integrity first. It doesn't matter really which way you talk about them, but I talk about them specifically because I, I also talk about intention being the foundation of trust. He doesn't talk about it like that in his book. But he talks about integrity as the second component of character. Integrity is made up of honesty, humility, courage, and congruence. So those are the that's the character side of the equation, you know, at a high level. That's 87% of what you do and achieve in life is gonna be based on that stuff I've just told you, I've just told you about. We're gonna dive deeper here in a second. Competence is the other component of trustworthiness, the 13%. And Covey talks about two components of competence, or as he calls them, the four cores of credibility. The first two is integrity and intent. They're underneath character. The second two cores of credibility are capabilities and results, and they fall underneath competence. So what's he talking about when he says capabilities? In his book, he calls it talent, attitude, skill, knowledge, and style relative to how you do what you do. And then underneath results, that core of credibility, he talks about past results, current results, and future results. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive down in. Hopefully, I can get through these four cores of credibility in the next 15 minutes. I try to keep my podcast under 30 minutes. So let's dive into intent, the first or the second core of credibility that Covey talks about. But it's gonna be the first one I talk about again. But intent it's a it falls underneath our character, and really it's about what's your agenda. And I I want to read a. Uh, a story about Dr. Covey that wrote The Seven Habits, Stephen M. R. Covey's father, but he tells this story in his book. And I'm gonna read pretty much read it from from the book to you. It's pretty interesting. But he's talking about intent. So he just he says, uh, one day as mom and dad, Dr. Covey and his wife, were returning from their cabin in Montana, they were extremely tired as they had spent the morning snowmobiling with young family members. Dr. Covey felt he was too tired to drive, so his wife took the wheel while he lay down in the back seat of the car and instantly fell asleep. After a couple of hours, his wife could barely keep her eyes open. Her name's Sandra. So she pulled to the side of the freeway and woke Dr. Covey, saying she couldn't wait to crawl into the back seat and have her turn to sleep. So they opened the car doors and got out to make the switch. Dr. Covey slipped into the driver's seat, and his wife Sandra was about to shut his door and go to the back when she suddenly remembered that their new car had a special feature that allowed people to raise or lower the chassis for convenience. And because she had a bad knee, she said to Dr. Covey, uh, please lower the car so I can get in easier. And she slammed the doors so he could so, so he could do it. I guess the doors had to be closed on there for it to work. Almost immediately. Sandra, his wife, was surprised to see the car begin to quickly move forward. Thinking Dr. Covey was pretending to leave her, which was a logical conclusion conclusion, given his sense of humor, she started chasing after the car. Suddenly the car sped up, and she was left standing on the side of the freeway all alone. As it was winter and she didn't have a coat on and was in her stocking feet, Sandra thought this was not the right time for a joke and Dr. Covey was really going to get it when he came back. But after 10 minutes of standing alone on the freeway, freezing, she finally came to the conclusion that Dr. Covey must have thought she had gotten into the car and was asleep in the back seat. Apparently, Dr. Covey never heard Sandra ask for the car to be lowered. And when he heard the back door slam, he assumed she was in. Knowing how exhausted she was, He thought that she had instantly fallen asleep among the cozy blankets and pillows. Since Sandra liked to make a lot of stops for restroom breaks and snacks, Dr. Covey thought if he remained really quiet, she might just sleep the whole way and he could make good time getting home. As luck would have it, a man in another car had seen Dr. Covey drive off and leave his wife on the side of the road, and he saw her chase the car down the freeway. Doing what he thought was his civic duty, he called the highway patrol and reported that he had just seen a man abandon a woman on the side of the road. Soon a patrol car pulled up to his wife, and the patrolman asked Sandra, what happened? My husband left me here, but I don't think he knows, she said. Suspecting potential domestic abuse, he asked, did you have a fight, ma'am? Why would he leave you and drive off? Well, I'm sure he thinks I'm in the back seat asleep." He thinks you're in the back seat of his car. Don't you think it's strange that he wouldn't notice you weren't there? No, I'm sure he thinks I'm sound asleep. What's your name? Sandra Covey, she said. There was a long pause. Are you in relation to Stephen Covey? Dr. Covey, the author? I had a class from him once. He's the one who left me, she said. As Sandra and the patrolman continued to talk, Sandra remembered Stephen. Dr. Covey, had a cell phone with him, so they called him. Dr. Covey, this is the Highway Patrol. You need to pull over immediately, and I need to know your exact location. Confused as to how the Highway Patrol had his cell phone number and wondering if he was speeding, he said, All right, officer. I think I'm somewhere by Idaho Falls, but I don't know exactly because I've been asleep. My wife's been driving up until 10 or 15 minutes ago. I'll ask her where we are. Then he yelled toward the back seat. Sandra, Sandra, wake up. There's a highway patrolman on the phone. He wants to know our exact location. Mr. Covey, Mr. Covey, the patrolman said loudly into the phone. Your wife isn't there. She's just asleep in the back seat, Dr. Covey replied impatiently. Wait, I'll pull over and wake her up. So Dr. Covey pulled over and looked in the back seat. Then he began frantically searching through the blankets and pillows. His wife wasn't there. My wife's missing, he he yelled. She's in the car with me, the patrolman replied. With you? Well, how did she get there? You left her on the side of the road a while ago. What? he said incredibly. You mean she didn't get in? Oh, I can't believe it. I wondered why she I, wa- I wondered why she was so quiet. Well, the patrol car finally found Dr. Covey, and they all had a good laugh as they pieced together what happened. Dr. Covey said, my kids just won't believe this one. The patrolman said, that's nothing. Wait till I tell the guys down at the department. This is a classic. And so that's the story of Dr. Covey's son telling the story about his father leaving his mom on the side of the road. But when you think about intent, he talks at Covey, the son here in the book, He talks about, you know, if you'd seen all this going on, what would you have thought Dr. Covey's intent was? You know, his wife assumed his intent was to play a joke, pretending to leave her. Why? Because he has quite a sense of humor, and he's done many things like that before. But once she realized what had happened, she assumed Dr. Covey had not known she was not in the car, and his intent in not trying to interact with her was to let her sleep. And why? Because she knew his character. She knew he cared about her, would want her to, re- w- and he would want her to rest. And he'd never consciously leave her in that situation on the side of the road. But the man who phoned the highway patrol, on the other hand, didn't know Doctor Covey's character, and he evidently assumed Doctor Covey's intent was to abandon his wife. He didn't even know it was his wife. Why? Who knows? Maybe he had had experience with abandonment in his own life. Or maybe he had been sensitized to the possibility, as most of us have by our social culture, of increasing abandonment and abuse just in society. The highway patrolman also didn't know Dr. Covey's character. At first, he didn't know who he was. He assumed there was some kind of bad intent involved. And why? Likely because he had seen a lot of domestic abuse in his profession. And his experience created the lens through which we initially viewed the events. But what was Dr. Covey's real intent? Obviously, there was no intent to leave his wife freezing on the side of the road. And he says here that he'd like to say that his whole intent is not trying to talk to her or his whole intent in not trying to talk to her was to give her the chance to get some good rest but as he admitted he also really wanted to get home as quickly as possible and he knew she would want to stop along the way if she were awake so who who we are determines what we see three different people in that situation saw his dr covey's intention three different ways but i loved when i read that story in the book i didn't know that about dr covey but that's that's a pretty funny story (laughs) And you could see it actually happening. But our intent matters. And Emmanuel Kant, I think is the way to say his name, he says, in law, a man is guilty when he violates the rights of another. In ethics, he is guilty if he only thinks of doing so. So our intent matters. Our intent grows out of our character. And While we tend to judge ourselves by our intent, we tend to judge others by their behavior. Boy, that's a big one right there. We judge ourselves by our intent. Like if we're late for a meeting or something, we, we'll make an excuse and we buy into our excuse. But if someone else is late to a meeting, they may have had the same thing happen to, us, to them that's happened to us in the past. And in the past, we we knew our intent was to be on time, but something happened and we were late. But when other people are late, we think their intent is they don't care about our time. But that's a pretty powerful little statement right there. But people often distrust us because of the conclusions they draw about what we do. And the conclusions they draw is often based on who they are and what they've experienced. Dr. Covey, in his book Seven Habits, calls that, you know, a paradigm. We see it's how we see the world. It's our frame of reference. Four people could see somebody do the same exact thing and they'd tell themselves four different reasons why they were doing it. Their why would be based on who they are and what they've experienced in life. So it's important for us to actively influence the conclusions other people draw by declaring our intent. I talk about that all the time. Leaders need to declare their intent. People need to declare their intent so that people are looking for the right behavior, not telling themselves some story that's not true. So he talks about motive, agenda, and behavior. Motive is your reason for doing something. It's the why that motivates the what. The motive that inspires the greatest trust is genuine, caring, caring about people, which is what I talk about all the time. So, in the book, he talks about in here, he says, he's talking about leaders and he's talking about motive. He says, if you really don't care and you don't want to care, that's fine. But you need to understand that you will pay a trust tax because of it meaning you'll make a withdrawal in an emotional trust account. Whatever you say or do will take more time and it will cost more because you will not gain the credibility and trust that come from caring. You may think you're already getting good results, but you need to ask yourself a bigger question. What am I leaving on the table? You also need to understand that if you act like you care when you really don't, ultimately, if not immediately, you'll have a a uh, realization and the tax will be even greater. In fact, there are, are few trust taxes that are higher than those attached to duplicity, being two faced, and particularly regarding motive. Jimmy Johnson, a former coach, the Dallas Cowboys and Miami Dolphins, he said, The only thing worse than a coach or a CEO who doesn't care about his people is one who pretends to care. People can spot a phony every time. They know. He doesn't care about them. And worse, his act insults their intelligence. Pretty powerful stuff. Pretty powerful stuff. So agenda, the agenda that generally inspires the greatest trust is seeking mutual benefit. Win-win, as Dr. Covey would say in The Seven Habits, genuinely wanting the best for everyone involved. In behavior... The best behavior that best creates credibility and inspires trust is acting in the best interest of others. So on today's episode, I kind of gave you an overview. I talked to you the four cores of credibility and an overview of the four cores and only got to dive into one of them. So next episode, we'll jump into integrity, capabilities, and results. The other four cores, the other three cores. Talk to you next time.
0: make it happen or someone else will it might as well be you are you serious about taking your career and your life to the next level and beyond check out Max Story's Blue Collar Leadership series books and others now available on audio along with paperback and ebooks at Amazon iTunes and Audible please visit bluecollarleadership.com to learn about Max Books programs special offers certifications and more Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Leadership Podcast.